you know, sexual addiction problems or other things like that, that we might have accountability groups for polarization addiction, where we just have people who are there to, to help call us out when we start to go too far, start to violate things and start to leave, in effect, rhetorical trash on the grounds of the, of the Capitol. Welcome to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. I'm Tim Mielhoff, Professor of Communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California. And my name is Rick Langer, and I'm a professor at Biola as well in the Biblical Studies and Theology Department, and I'm also the Director of the Office of Faith and Learning. And today's topic, we'd like to talk a little bit about the events that happened not long ago in our nation's capital. Along with millions of others of Americans, uh, my soul, I know, was churning with anguish as I watched the Capitol building being desecrated last week or two weeks ago now. Um, and these scenes, I've seen them play out before, right? But they've always been in a foreign country. They've always been somewhere else. And here I'm looking at not some dark totalitarian uh, regime or some failed democratic experiment, but I'm looking at our own Capitol building, and I, it was just so different. Um, the, the protesters were storming the most iconic building of American democracy, and I felt shock, despair, confusion, embarrassment. And more than anything else, for me, I think I felt kind of angry mm. and small. Anger for the obvious reason, small because I felt totally impotent in terms of doing anything about the events that are unfolding. In fact, Tim and I have been talking about trying to do things that we can to help depolarize and all of that. And I'm kind of looking at the events going, well, that didn't work, did it? And so it just was a very, very difficult scene for me. And I felt kind of like curling up in the fetal position or else just letting off kind of a nice primal scream. Um, and, and the nice thing that happened in the midst of all of this, the one moment of hope that came was something that happened late that night. Andy Kim is a congressman from New Jersey, and he was on his way home after casting uh, his vote to certify the election. And the rotunda of the Capitol was just covered with trash, pizza boxes, water bottles, discarded clothing, all these kinds of things. Uh, you know, Trump flags, American flags, just strewn all across the floor. And his self-report on this as he was walking in said, he, I felt kind of strangely moved. I felt this heightened, supercharged sense of patriotism. I love the Capitol, and I'm honored to be there. This building is extraordinary, and the rotunda in particular is just awe-inspiring. And it really broke my heart, and I just felt, felt compelled to do something. What else could I do? So here's what he did. A policeman was picking up the garbage, and so he walked up to him, asked if he could have a garbage bag and help out. And so the policeman gave him a garbage bag, and he started helping up pick up the trash. In fact, we wouldn't have even known this had happened if one of his colleagues hadn't walked by and seen him crawling under a bench. And he's like, Andy, what, what's going on? And he comes out, and he realizes he's picking up the trash, and that's how the whole story actually came out. So that was a beautiful image to me. And I've spent a lot of the last three years, Tim and I have, kind of writing and speaking to students and churches and schools and community groups about polarization in our public discourse. We're not famous. Uh, you know, we're not really out on the lecture circuit. Um, I just take the opportunities I get to advocate for gentleness and respect when we talk about contentious issues. And I suppose part of that was part of why I was particularly angry, because as I mentioned, I just felt like all that had been unsuccessful. But 
Here's the punchline. <laughs> Small efforts are still efforts. So inspired by Congressman Kim, I've decided that we should pick up our rhetorical trash bags and do some cleanup work uh, in the places where we actually live and talk to other people. I'm going to do my best to clean up the conversations of which I'm a part. And so I just thought we'd take some time on this podcast to identify some key bits of rhetorical trash that we may want to police from our conversational spaces. How does that sound, Tim? Oh, Rick, what a great metaphor of what Kim did picking up the trash around the Capitol. And I agree with you. It, it, it felt like something had profoundly changed when I saw those images. You and I have a new book out called Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. And we're doing radio interviews. And I was doing a radio interview by myself. And I, I made a comment and immediately corrected myself. And I thought to myself, boy, times have changed. I said this. Listen, incivility is a problem in our country, but it's not like we're killing each other over it. And I stopped <laughs> literally in the interview and said, wow, do I need to change that? Because yeah. people died at the Capitol. Yeah, it was that kind of a, a turning point sort of a moment uh, in our country's consciousness. So I love your idea, Rick. We've talked about this. I love the idea of identifying and picking up our rhetorical trash. And let's uh, let Kim serve as a great metaphor on his hands and knees humility, yeah, uh, looking for trash and picking it up and throwing it away. What a great metaphor. So let's talk about rhetorical trash and the dangers of not addressing it. All right, great. So let me, first bit of rhetorical trash that I think needs to be policed is speaking words of falsehood. Mm. Um, and for some of you, the next few things I say will probably be hard to hear. So let me just ask you to please stay with me. As I was watching these events unfold at the Capitol, I was surprised to talk to friends um, and read social media posts that were saying that these pro protesters were in, uh, that were, were actually being invited across the barricades. There was no violence being done. They were actually alternatively left-wing radicals, and they were co-opting a peaceful protest by supporters of Donald Trump. And let me just say, they were not. Um, let me simply quote, not from anything other than the resignation letters of two of President Trump's cabinet members. First, Elaine Child, the Secretary of Transportation, uh, Mitch McConnell's wife. So these are two people uh, who have been incredibly long-term, vocal, visible supporters of Donald Trump. Uh, her her uh, resignation letter read, Yesterday our country experienced a traumatic and entirely avoidable set of events as supporters of President Trump's, uh, supporters of the President stormed the Capitol building following a rally that he addressed. As I'm sure is the case with many of you, it has deep, beat, deeply troubled me in a way I simply cannot set aside. And she goes on to explain more of this. Even more explicit, Betsy DeVos, Secretary of Education. Again, these are two of the few cabinet members who've been with him the entire four years of his presidency. She writes, we should be highlighting and celebrating your administration's many accomplishments on behalf of the American people. Instead, we're left to clean up the mess caused by violent protesters overrunning the US Capitol in an attempt to undermine the people's business. That behavior was unconscionable for our country. And there's no mistaking the impact your rhetoric had on that situation. And that is an inflection point for me. And the point here is that these descriptions are not coming from some friend who was at the protest and in Washington really knows what happened. These aren't from the liberal press. 
These are the words of two people who sat on the president's cabinet for four years, and it's clear to them that the president bears no small measure of responsibility for these events. Now, having said that, this is where the challenge of speaking the truth comes in. It's easy to speak the truth when it's convenient. Our character is tested when we must face inconvenient truths. In this case, I'll speak for me personally, I must face the truth of the fact that I have been basically a lifelong Republican. Whether I like it or not, these events were carried out by members of my political tribe. And full stop. I can think of so many ways I could distance myself from the perpetrators of these events, but I'm going to resist that temptation and simply say I'm ashamed of these events and of my political party's complicity in them. It's a simple truth that needs to be spoken in the face of falsehood. This is partly me and my tribe. Yeah, Rick, I love that. Um, so speaking the truth is predicated on finding the truth. And this is where we have a hard time in today's uh, social media saturated news cycles. So we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and make sure that we're hearing different voices so that we're not just in our own in-group uh, believing uh, news sources that we're most comfortable with. So I do this assignment, Rick, with my students. They take two weeks, they watch CNN one night, and they watch Fox News the next night. Oh, yeah. And then they come back, and I ask them questions. How's uh, uh, the coronavirus doing in our country? How's President Trump's response to it? Right? All these different things. And they, the students literally laugh because they say, well, it all depends. If you go to CNN, he's doing horrible and we're a mess and he's complicit in all the, the deaths of Americans through COVID. You go to Fox, he's done great things and should be applauded for his response. So, Rick, speaking the truth is great, but we're going to have to make sure that we're allowing people to speak into what we consider the truth. You and I are big fans of a website called All Sides. Yeah. Uh, we're actually going to be taking part in a really cool conversation that they're doing. That'll be another podcast. But All Sides gives you what they identify, which is interesting. They identify as the left, the center, and the right. And they'll give you articles on an event like the Capitol uh, attack, and they'll give you the left's perspective, the center's perspective, and the right's perspective. I think that's really helpful to sit and listen to three different voices and ask which one proved their case the best using data, survey, and all those different kind of things. So I wish, I wish truth-telling was a little bit easier, and all of us fall into the trap of saying truth-telling is not difficult at all, and I got the truth via this news source. Yeah. It's going to have to be more complicated than that. Yeah, and that's a good word, Tim. I, it was interesting for me as I was writing and thinking about some of these issues, and I had, I'd read a news blurb talking about one of the cabinet secretary's resignations. And I was like, my first thought when I saw the report was, I wonder what the person actually said. Mm. And so here's what I did. I dug around and found a PDF of the two resignation letters. Mm. So what I quoted was not from a news source at all. <laughs> it was from a PDF of the actual resignation letters. And the, uh, the unfortunate, so that is kind of handy. I'm pretty confident that that's actually what these two secretaries, uh, you know, cabinet secretaries said. Yeah. That said, so many of the events we have do not have the equivalent of a PDF of the actual document. Yeah. And so you end up with videotape, you know, one person pointing the camera one way and one the other. And that becomes very difficult. But 
none of this changes the fact that sometimes truths are inconvenient truths. Some of the people I saw yeah. pushing back against that were simply saying, that's just not the kind of thing that we do. And I'd, I'd love to be able to make it that simple, but the dividing line between good and evil, between losing control and keeping control, between being gracious and being cynical, and that dividing line does not run between groups, but it runs through every human heart. And I think most of us, well, to go back to Andy Kim's metaphor, we, we perhaps, if we think that we would never go too far mm. or say things we might regret, mm. we, we might need to crawl under some benches within our soul and to see if there's still some trash lurking under there that needs to be pulled out. Yeah, and while you're under that bench doing soul searching. No, while you're under that bench. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, also do some truth searching under that bench ask the hard question why do i believe i'm right on this issue what is it that is justifying my belief when it comes to a political issue a social issue a theological issue am i reading widely am i allowing diverse perspectives to challenge what i think is right um I went to a Reformed seminary, and most of my education is from a Reformed seminary, and so it was really good to read counter evidence of what I believe. I, I don't, I'm not Reformed, but when you know that there's giants out there like Luther, Owen, Calvin, um, it, it causes a little bit of humility. So I'm concerned with people who only read in one stream, they, they watch one thing. So it's good for us when we're under that soul-searching bench to say, hey, I need to probably stop and ask the hard question, am I right on this issue? And what has given me the confidence uh, to do that? So I love this metaphor. Let me add one. If we're going to really pick up our rhetorical trash, we can't treat it, Rick, like a New Year's resolution. Oh. I mean, we're, we're far enough in January that I'd hate to ask the question, how many of our resolutions have already fallen by the wayside? You know, that elliptical machine, brand new, is now closed or hanging over it. You know? <laughs> so um, this is not new, a call to pick up our rhetorical trash. This has actually been around for a long time. Let me go back to January 8, 2011. U.S. Representative Gabby Gifford and 18 others were shot during a meeting in a supermarket parking lot in Arizona. Six died. Uh, Gifford was shot in the head at point blank. And the man was arrested, uh, and it sparked a huge conversation about harsh rhetoric back in 2011. Yeah. Time Magazine came out with a cover issue of the shooter, and the headline was Gun, Rhetoric, and Hatred. So they were already calling in 2011, have we gone too far? Um, Keith Oberman did a segment when he had his own show on C uh, NBC, did a segment called The Worst Person in the World. And he was so moved in 2011 that he publicly said, I'm getting rid of this segment. It was kind of done in tongue in cheek. But if I'm adding to the rhetorical rhetoric that led to the shooting of Gabby Gifford, then I repent of it. Now, Harvard did a study since 2011. What's been our response to the Gabby Gifford shooting? And tragically, Harvard reported that since 2011, mass shootings have tripled in our country. So, Rick, I simply say picking up rhetorical trash in light of the Capitol, it can't be just another New Year's resolution that we're done when it comes to February. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting that about Keith Olbermann. I didn't know that about you know what he did in 2011. We were speaking this fall, and I was speaking at a church event, and uh, you know Tim and I had a, a fertile and easy fall in terms of finding sermon and talk illustrations yeah. about bad rhetoric. You know because we just that it, it was an extremely inflamed you know climate. Interesting thing. I remember speaking at one of the, the churches that I spoke at, and uh, uh, it was a, a video clip from Keith Oberman just going over the top with rage against Donald Trump. It was mm-hmm. it was some of the most. In fact, I almost felt awkward even showing it. This fall, you're this, talking this, this fall. This fall, yeah. So here we are, ten years later, and back to this issue: of Do we keep the resolutions? And please don't hear me saying Keith Oberman is somehow magically unique in this. It just struck me when right, you said right. that, that I we had bumped into that. And other, we, we had all kinds of illustrations. We, we had, you know, Donald Trump and Joseph Biden going back and forth against each other in a presidential debate that, that was a violation of any, any normal bounds of rhetorical balance. But these are the things that I think you're just dead right. It's super hard to maintain it. And we're talking about developing a spiritual discipline of soul. And the fact yeah. that it feels unnatural yeah. or difficult, we're like, right, exactly. But nonetheless, it needs to happen. And New York, uh, New Year's resolutions are created based on different contexts. So let's take weight loss. I mean, all of, all of us have probably done the I got to lose 10 pounds New Year's resolution because our jeans are too tight or, or you saw a Christmas photograph of yourself and you're like, no way do I look like that. So I'm going to lose 10 pounds. By the way, that, that's a perfectly good motivation to lose 10 pounds. But one time when I was the most successful is when a friend came to me who was overweight and was having heart palpitations and went to his doctor and his doctor said, listen, dude, you need to lose 30 pounds because this isn't a matter of your pants being tight. This is unhealthy for you and it can have dire consequences. So that friend came to me and said, would you join me in this? And Rick, that felt different. This was a person's health. And even the way the doctor framed it, a life and death issue, you need to lose 30 pounds. I think the capital is like the heart condition. This isn't just so that we can feel better as Americans. This is literally life and death. The people who lost their lives on the capital that day, tragically. So as Americans, when we're talking about addressing our trash, our rhetorical trash, it's not that our genes can feel better. It's that people's lives are literally at stake if we don't clean up this trash. You know, that, and that's, <laughs> that is a great example of, of the challenge of implementing this. And I'm thinking with just what we're talking about here with the, you know, the events with the Capitol and the things that are continuing to happen in our country to say, hey, we are at that point as a country. Who is a friend that we could get together, maybe a person on the other mm-hmm. side, maybe a person who's more on the same side, but say that we could help one another, uh, what, what in, in the military context, they call it policing the grounds, you know, yeah. picking up the trash, yeah. but that we could do that for each other. That as we talk about things, we could ask, well, what news source did you get that from? Have you read balancing sources that we could yeah. just have that and realize, look, the same way I hear people doing accountability groups for, you know, sexual addiction problems or other things like that, that we might have accountability groups for polarization addiction, where we just have people who are there to, to help call us out when we start to go too far, start to violate things and start to leave, in effect, rhetorical trash 
on the grounds of the of the Capitol. Yeah, and and we're going to practice what we preach, Rick. One of the commitments uh, that we're going to do on the Winsome Conviction podcast is we're not just going to bring in people that we agree with. We are specifically going to invite guests in that we really disagree with theologically, politically, socially. And we want to have these kind of conversations. So when you listen to a person on our podcast, don't always assume that we're agreeing with their perspective, yeah. right? This is not endorsed by Biola University. And I think that'll be pretty obvious when we're talking to that person. But we are absolutely committed to breaking out of the evangelical conservative bubble. And we're going to bring people in that you might listen to and go, man, that made me uncomfortable. And I, I want to tell you, it probably is going to make me and Rick uncomfortable. But we feel like we need to engage that now is the time to do it. Rick, I can't believe how quickly time's gone by. This is such an important topic. I say we've got a bunch more uh, things to talk about picking up rhetorical trash. So let's do another segment on this. So why don't you wrap us up and we'll make this a part two because there's some other things I think we want to get to. So with that said then, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Winsome Conviction Podcast. We'd love to have you become a regular uh, listener by subscribing at Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you like to get your podcasts. And we also encourage you to check out the Winsome Conviction website. Uh, it's a great place for resources, articles, information on cultivating convictions and holding them deeply, but conversing with other people in ways that honor the difference instead of dividing the community. That's really what we're all about here. So thanks for joining us.